Welcome to DC Chi Alpha's Better Wherever podcast, where we're better together wherever, whatever the weather, whether we're together or not. Blaine, I have a pun for you, and I would like to share it with you. Great. I would love that. Okay. Why did the hawk sit on the church's steeple? I don't know why. It was a bird of prey. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, part, of me yep. part of me didn't want to laugh <laughs> because it's so, it's just so good. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel as well. Um, Do you have another yeah. one? No. Um, no, you know, wow, okay. I'm going to keep okay, it to sorry. one. Yes, that sounds good. You know. Less is more, as they say. I agree. But, you know, that means we have plenty of more for the other podcasts that we'll be doing. Love it. Yeah. Um, On today's episode, I, Alexis, am talking with Blaine Young. Hello, hello, hello. About our favorite books uh, based on spirituality or our faith or Christianity in general. I feel like if we did books as a whole with any genre and any type that could go on for hours. So we had to narrow it down at least a little bit. Um, but we hope that you enjoy today's episode of Better Wherever. I mean, we can't really talk about books without me mentioning dckialpha.com slash connect, where we have incredible resources from our very own Alexis Fobble, <laughs> dozens of books, handfuls of lists, lots of <laughs> recommendations and personal reflection on why reading is important. Or like our friend German said, Christians need to be reading outside mm. of the Bible. Mm. Not just the Bible. That's correct. not just the Bible. Definitely the Bible. Yes but also other things as well. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Well, shall we get into it? I will let you lead the way. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. So I've picked a couple of books that I have read over the past couple of years, some of them in college, some of them after college, you know, a great mix. Mm. Um, but the first one on my list um, that I read back when I was a, I think it was the summer after my freshman year in college, I was recommended this book by my friend Becca Lamb, which is pretty cool. Um, and this book is so expensive. I saw that I was going to buy it that I literally went to the library and they had it. And so what library? Um, it was in Gilbert. Arizona. My wow. Is, wow. Right? I, love how, I love how you got sad talking about Arizona, but for our <laughs> listeners, they may love Arizona. There you go. I mean, I love, I like Arizona a lot. I, I mean, live I, in DC, but. Well, I mean, I don't know if you can walk that back. I mean, National Chiropractically <laughs> hosts our every few years staff conference nationally it's in true. Arizona. So I just wanted to that say place is great. Gary Pascal and Nathan Cole and the team for letting us experience one of my favorite parts of the country, the Southwest. It may not be Alexis's, but it is mine. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, here we are. But anyways, in that lovely library, they did have um, Loveology by John Mark Comer. And I know, Blaine, you're a big fan of John Mark Comer, so I feel like that'd be pretty great to hear your thoughts on this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it is a very thick book um, with many chapters. But I remember reading it after kind of coming, you know, out of my freshman year and through the recommendation of my uh, life group leader at the time. And I took a lot out of it. I mean, this book is literally called, let's see, it's called Loveology, God, Love, Marriage, Sex, and see, I have to get the full title out because uh-huh. I don't even try to read it off right now. But in the story of male and female. Wow. Awesome. It's all the things. Yes. That everyone avoids to talk about. Mm. Not everyone, but most people avoid that. So I love, I love JMC's willingness to tackle difficult topics. Yes. And I feel like that's one of the biggest takeaways that I took away from this book that I really respected about him and the way that he wrote it is that I, unlike other books that I've seen on these same topics, he doesn't profess or try to act like he is a, um, specialist or a master of any of these subjects. Mm. Um, I think oftentimes he just, he brings back to his own marriage and own relationship, but also does his best to give a theological point of view behind things. Um, yeah. But throughout the entire thing, I like the way that in the description or someone's review of it inside the book was like, this isn't um, like a textbook way of doing it. He's not providing like guidelines or some kind of like step-by-step process of how to have a successful relationship or or relationship with these topics i think he's just trying to give a better why um yeah and yeah i think that's a really great insight, so, alexis i think it's because, yeah because we typically will see books that are uh that are doctrinal and that's not bad but they're in that yes. category or yeah. like you just mentioned we'll see books that are more how-to step-by-step guides very practical or maybe more manuals but John Mark Comer in his writing um, typically will occupy that third lane of story. And it reminds us that the Bible is a story mm-hmm. before it's a set of doctrines or a set of instructions. That's a great way to put it. Yes, exactly. Now, honest confession, I have not read all this book. Okay. That's but right. I do love John Mark Comer, like you said. So I'm excited to actually <laughs> learn a little bit more about the book. I know in Archive Alpha, Uh, ministry in DC. The book did get passed around from different groups and I watched some great videos of John Mark Homer talking about it. Yeah. Um, I love his Garden City book, um, Mm. but let's talk about the book you chose. Let's not make this about me. Let's make (laughs) this about love, you, and John Mark Homer. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, Well, I I think one of the biggest the first takeaways that I realized when I was reading it, especially because I think the second chapter, yeah, second chapter is literally marriage. Um, I remember thinking, this was like five, six years ago, after reading the book, I remember telling myself, like, read this again one day if you become engaged or Mm. preparing for marriage, because after reading it, I remember getting so much out of it for where I was then. We're just, you know, single, like 18 year old. Um, but then remember thinking like, I feel like this is going to be a really cool resource to have one day um, when, if I step into marriage. And so um, mm. I think it serves multiple purposes, which I also really appreciate is because I think it hits home in many different ways. Because like, of course, when I was reading the marriage thing, I think it enlightened me and helped understand some things. But there are some things where I just like was able to realize I was like, I can't really cannot relate, cannot sure. relate. And that's OK. Um, but. Yeah, I think this book was the first time that I heard somebody challenge anything from the premise of the one to talking about the biblical understanding of what 
I'm probably not pronouncing it right, but Ikad or like that sex is good or was created with a good purpose. It was created you by just, God. You just used the S word. and so I, I know. I hesitated. But, you know, this book is what that, I feel like that's part of the purpose of this book is to <laughs> talk about it in a good way, right? So, yeah, that's, that's that. But, yeah, so. I think you, you highlighted something that, honestly, I, it's a tension that I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of my own ministry philosophy, um, I want to talk about marriage to college students, particularly our college students who yeah. are usually um, not necessarily um, engaged in the dating scene fully, primarily because I think of different factors in our context, where we live, what schools we're at. Yeah. But I, I love the perspective that you and also Rev Nat on our team bring. Yeah, it's got to be a delicate balance um, because the church has often kind of elevated marriage or married persons in a way that's been unhelpful. But I just love how you're able to recognize the nuance of, I both needed this now, but I'll, I also need it later. Yeah. My fear is that if I never talk about marriage, when my students aren't married, when they get married, it might be a little too late. Mm. So I'm, that for me, as, as it's kind of crazy. I'm the only married person on the team. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to manage that with hundreds of years of possibly well-intentioned, unhelpful marriage emphasis. Yeah. So anytime, you know, February 14th comes around and we don't schedule a worship night on Valentine's, <laughs> I typically want to talk about marriage so that I could connect as people are forming ideas about it, but it's very difficult to do that. And see, yeah. I think from what I've heard of people reading the book in campus ministry, mostly single people that he's done a good job at honor and dignity for all stages of life. Yes. I think I, I talk about marriage personally a good amount because it's been so amazing, hard, good that I want others to have that. But I understand that if I do that too much, it seems like I'm saying, that's the only option. Mm. Whereas our religion is primarily <laughs> predicated on, on two single, assumingly celibate men, Jesus mm. and Paul. Yeah. So all that to say, you kind of help me again, make sure I'm not just in my own thoughts about this stuff, Yeah. but helping people um, engage with the topic without necessarily being unhelpful or harmful. Um, mm in an audience where, you know, with campus ministry, we're mostly navigating people that are single. Yeah, for sure. Now, why I'm a big John Mark Comer fan, besides his love for pour overs, fiction (laughs) books like Old Man's War, and the fact that he rides his bike to work and lives in a city that I may want to live in one day if I had another life to live, (laughs) is because he's the only person that quotes Dallas Willard more than I do. He's doing his graduate studies at one of the leading seminaries with the leading Willardian scholar. Um, And actually my book um, that I chose to talk about today is a Dallas Willard book, Mm. Renovation of the Heart. Hold on. In daily practice. Thank you, Jan Johnson, for helping (laughs) Dallas, for helping him take a great almost textbook and boil it down to what I consider Mm. the best day-by-day devotional. So it is by Dallas, but I always say, this is not my favorite devotional without Jan Johnson stepping up because I've picked up and put down the full text before, but I've gone three times through renovation of the heart and daily practice. So I want to give a shout out to Dallas, but it's really Jan Johnson that makes the book 
what it is. Yeah, Jan. So we thank you so much. You, if you're listening, you probably are. I don't want to make <laughs> assumptions. Um, and I think for me and for my mentor, one of my mentors, Mike Godswa, I think that Dallas Willard, in addition to Richard Foster, become really helpful mentors from afar because they help us engage with devotional life, rhythm of life, and order of life. Mm-hmm. And we, me, Mike, and others, maybe didn't come from traditions that were as ordered or high church or liturgical. Yeah. And so for me, I'll just say for me, I won't speak for, for all my mentors. Um, Dallas and, and, and Foster helped me have a framework for discipleship that went beyond the altar, that went beyond a, a prayer confessing yeah. Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that went beyond Pentecostal distinctives of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I love how they created a path that also was meant for everyone, not just people called to ministry, because sometimes our unintentional discipleship path in our stream can be salvation, baptism, the Holy Spirit, full-time ministry. Yeah. Some people's path, that was your path, I'm assuming, and my path. Yeah. But it's not the path for everyone. And so for me, Dallas and Foster uh, helped me do that, helped me engage that, helped me see that, helped me know how to talk about that. So from Blaine and Alexis, John Mark Comer, <laughs> he's a resource and he averages about 1.8 Dallas Willard quotes per sermon. That's I come so in at about 0.98. I think God's was at 1.1. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. Uh, but but beyond that, is, before we go to your next book, Alexis, is there anything yeah. else that you wanted to say um, about Loveology in particular? Um, nothing more except for that I just highly recommend it. And like anything, there's probably going to be parts of it that you might disagree with. Um, or there might be things that are challenging. You're like, mm, I don't know about that. But I have found that some of the best things that I have read, that's exactly what mm. is it's made up of. Um, and I think it's almost more powerful to be able to kind of distinguish between the two is being able to say, I can take things out of this that I can't apply to my life and are important. And there are things that I just simply maybe disagree with. Um, so I recommend that- it for people. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. That was. Oh no, you're okay. (laughs) Do do you find that reading things that are challenging is helpful to a help you see things in a new way, or b help you to to better understand your existing beliefs or underlying beliefs? What's been true for you in your story, Alexis? Um, I feel like probably both. I usually go into things, and Mm. after I read them, I'm like, okay, worst case scenario is that I read this and I don't recommend it to somebody else. But I never think that it's just a throwaway. I Mm. rarely think that. I usually gain a better understanding of that person, or if that person is speaking on behalf of a group of people, their views, which is helpful in understanding where they're coming from. Mm. But I also definitely think it then solidifies what I believe. and I'm able to better articulate why I disagree um, with them. And so I think it pushes and challenges me. And sometimes even if I finish reading something and I'm just mad, like I'm just like, ah, that was crap, you know, what? Like at least then I know why <laughs> mm. and I can uh, communicate that. So I think even if, um, if there's at least a little bit of curiosity into re- reading it, I would recommend doing it. Um, so if somebody wants to order it right now, are you advocating that they order 
a new print copy, a used print copy, mm -hmm. or an ebook? Um, I would say, so I personally like printed text. I cannot. Well, I just highly dislike reading um, ebooks or anything online. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, hear that. it's just you know where we're at. Um, so I would say, yeah, go with definitely a used copy uh, because one, if you don't like it, you can donate it, um, and if you do like it, you can either give it to somebody else or keep it in your own library. So, what what and, for you, for you? You know, digging into your I don't want to say your love for loveology, but I just did. <laughs> Would it have been as strong? Or would the book have been as meaningful had you read it alone? Whereas it seems like you read it in community. Like it was a, it was a personal wreck. Like it wasn't off of a DC Kappa book list. That's okay. It was someone who knew you, loved you, invested in you, and they had probably read it. And they're asking yeah. you to read it. So it seemed like a group project. How much did that play into it for, for you personally, Alexis? Yeah. Um, I think if I would have stumbled upon it by myself and read it, like it definitely would have been beneficial, right? But um because that's just where the content is at but the fact that somebody was like from where you're at and like maybe these are things you can learn or just i i was asking her so many questions i was like what about this what about this like what does this say and she's like start here and i was like okay mm -hmm. um and so and she wasn't wrong it was a great recommendation it answered so many questions that i was starting to form as literally an 18 year old in like a new city and trying Wait, you're to not 18 right now i'm not 18 i am a hardy 23 <laughs> so wow i yeah. am getting older by the moment yeah wow anyways but yeah i think it's great to be able to do things like that in community yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah. For those that maybe missed the title because I talk a little bit faster, I was shouting out Johnson so much. Renovation of the Heart in Daily Practice. I'm going to always advocate for Kindle, but that's okay. Any way <laughs> you get it. It, for me, is the best devotional. And I am saying that having experienced my utmost for his highest, oh. uh, which is in second place for me. Um, for me, this is so helpful because it helps me to dig deep and it has some of the same underlying currents that um, I think are in one of the next books you're going to mention from a good friend of ours, Peter Scazzaro. Mm, yes. So the next book that I have on my list is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro, who I have learned, thanks to Blaine, um, did pastor a church in New York City, but has now become just a uh, handed over his church to somebody else is now still on staff there we love you rich biotis we really love that's, you that's who it is we do i appreciate you a lot um but yeah so i started reading emotionally healthy spirituality fairly recently in the past couple months um <clears throat> we were doing kind of like a group with some students and so uh blaine recommended that we kind of look me and uh my coworker, you all know her jolene carter she's great uh read kind of look over the grief chapter um and uh, I was like intrigued by it and I just kind of read it for myself. And then mm. I started the book and it is way more helpful than I thought. Mm. Um, and cause sometimes I feel like when I read some books by <laughs> Christian authors who try to, who do their best to speak into <laughs> the uh, me, you, uh, just different thing, issues that people experience um it you know put it nicely like it does fall flat or they assume that they have more knowledge in a very specific area than they do mm. um but starting to read pete suzero's book was just amazing like the fact that again i always find it 
I always respect the fact when people start off a story saying, because this is my story, this is what I experienced. And so I want to share what I learned. Mm -hmm. um, and then for him to obviously put so much work into connecting the fact, and this is like his basic premise is that without being emotionally, emotionally healthy, wait, what? Emotional health and spiritual maturity are directly tied to each other. And that's the no, first time. No, they're not. No, oh they're not. Gosh, wait, okay, well. wait. Okay, well. Look, <laughs> I hate this. This is too soft and You weird. literally oh, recommended it to me. <laughs> oh, that wasn't me. Sorry. That was just a friend of mine who uh, has strange views on mental health. Yeah. Oh, yep. I know a couple of those as well. So, you know, I definitely recommend this copy this book um for diving deep into emotional health and it was kind of cool i thought it was kind of cool reading it from a man who's probably he's probably my dad's age maybe mm. like 50s um definitely in a different generation an older guy but reading it as a younger woman mm. i was uh kind of aware of that dichotomy but i also mm. found it extremely helpful i was like if cause so, so some of his, you know, experiences like in his marriage or in, as a lead pastor, I'm like, okay, I can't really relate. Um, but the way that he talked about emotional health, I have felt challenged over and over, mm. which I made reading this very slow. Cause every time I hit something like, huh, I was like, let me say what that for a second. Um, but I greatly appreciate the way that he talks about it because I think he's hitting something deeper that I think we all can. Yeah. So if, if there's a scale from one to five, five being the most bingeable, one being the least bingeable. How bingeable is Loveology, reading it in an afternoon, versus would you do the same thing with emotionally healthy spirituality? Oh, yeah, they're definitely different. Loveology, okay. while very thick, like it's a thick book, that man, if you really sit down, you can do it in a couple of days, right? Like it's, it's the chapters, you're just like, I want to keep going. Yes, um, it's deep, but it's also, yes. it's, an, it's so, uh, it's, it's invitational into... Yes. John Mark Comer's experience is up and down, positive yes. and negative. Absolutely. Um, yes. And so it definitely reads almost like you said, as a story. And mm -hmm. so I also love that too. Um, but this one, it's like, you read just like half a chapter and I'm like, yeah, I gotta, <laughs> let me go like talk to God about this. <laughs> uh, wow. That's so, more mature than when I read it. I'm just like, oh, I need to go play Nintendo Switch after this. You're funny. That's funny. But no, it's like literally, I'm literally still on chapter. I've read them of the third chapter and it's been like a month and a half. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I'll pick it up again when I feel emotionally ready. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I still definitely rec uh, recommend it. I think that for a book, it will challenge you to kind of get into some deep stuff, but in a really good way, um, in a really positive way. And yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, I think that even speaking, you know, just from my own context and experience, um, navigating and struggling with mental health concerns for much of my adult life and probably before, but I don't want to really think about that right now. Um, I think this book was really helpful because I think Schizero grew up and led in an environment of church life that I was accustomed to. Mm. And so it didn't feel like an outsider telling me, what I was doing wrong. It felt like mm -hmm. an insider who discovered something and wanted to share it. That's good. And I think that really helped me. Um, and it's also why I appreciate, you know, Schizero's blogs and books um, and podcast resources, because I think you're right. That thesis of the connection between spiritual maturity and emotional health. I don't know. Once you hear that, 
I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to shake. It's hard yes. for me to, to, to think of, it's hard for me to think, how did I not connect the dots before? Yes, that. I was like shocked. I was like, dang, I really missed something there, didn't I? Mm. <laughs> yeah. For sure. But yeah, I recommend it. We recommend it. Um, yeah. Blaine, you have another book that you'd like to share with us, right? I do. Thank you for reminding me. Yes. I do have a book called Letters to a Skeptic. Mm. And the book is written by Greg Boyd. Okay. Greg's an interesting guy. <laughs> uh, I've heard. His beliefs, uh, the way he leads his church are really unique, especially when coming from um, a Puritan influence, Western American culture of Protestantism. Um, and again, I think when we recommend books, we're not necessarily saying uh, this author is now the Lord and Savior or <laughs> that this author is necessarily my pastor or that this author is correct in everything in this book and in other books. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I think it's just helpful for me to say that, but I think this book was really helpful because I don't want to give a spoiler alert, um, but it's in the first few pages. The book is a collection of letters between Greg and his atheist father who later comes before his death to know Jesus. Mm. Greg's a pastor who, of course, loves his father. And I think what he does in this book is address many of the concerns that his father and many people that I know have with Jesus. Mm. And the concerns about Jesus aren't necessarily textual. They're concerns that come out of the life of professed believers. Um, and so I think that Greg offers a, a biblically sound yeah. and alternative um, viewpoint on many things that people assume are just like vanilla Christian beliefs. And then he does kind of get into the weeds with some other things and how he views sovereignty and suffering. But I think what he does is um, respond to this question that John Mark Comer poses kind of separately. It's that people in John Mark Comer city and in DC, people I know personally, haven't necessarily rejected Jesus. They've rejected who Jesus has been made out to be by the yes. church or by believers. Yes. Um, and so this book is just like that on a very granular level. And it helped me understand how do I talk to people who I love about Jesus, about the church, um, how to do it with care, uh, with wisdom, but also to not walk into a conversation and dismiss all of the problematics of the church as if I'm, as if I'm separate from that. Right. And so I think I love reading letters. I love reading correspondence. I love memoirs. I love, of course, the pastoral epistles in the New Testament. Yeah. And so for me, this book was just like a really, like, this is why good theology matters, because how we view God shapes how we talk about God. And mm -hmm. it was helpful for me to both learn how to do some things in conversation, but also to question some of the things that I thought were absolutely foundational to Orthodox Christian belief. Mm. And so it made me think, but it also made me feel. And as I think through a few people that I've met on campus, as I think through a few people, you know, in my own family um, who yeah. may not be in relationship with Jesus, who may be skeptical, it, it almost taught me that skeptical isn't a bad word. Yeah. And that there's probably a lot of things I should be more skeptical of in my own stream or sphere or playground. And so, yeah, Letters to a Skeptic by Greg Boyd. Um, it's an interesting read. 
but I think it's one that um, can be really helpful. And it's interesting to see someone kind of open up their, their private relationship and talk about what prevented this one person, not every skeptic or every atheist, but what prevented his father from believing in Jesus sooner? Yeah. And what barriers did Christians put in the way intentionally or unintentionally? Yeah. Dang. That was a great review. (laughs) Clearly Um, I'm very passionate about about the, from afar, the, what I've learned from, from Greg and less learned of what he believes, but how he believes it and expresses it. Yeah. And so if you've ever heard me talk about Greg Boyd in hushed tones, this would be the safest place to start. Yeah. Yeah. For those that have asked, I got asked a question this week, if I would describe myself as an open theist and I said, no, I would not, Mm -hmm. but I am a full classic Armenian. If that means nothing to you, don't even worry about it. But if, yes. that, was, if that was a burning question, because I did get Facebook asked that this week, mm-hmm. if, I, if I would be, if I describe myself as an open theist, I would not. Greg does. Everyone should read the book. There you go. Was that okay? No, that was good. Okay. That was good. I know I, feel we, encouraged I, know you know, I like to that. talk about this stuff, but I, I also do. don't want to bore anybody with things that honestly may not be helpful where they're at right now. Yeah, it just don't, yeah. No need to worry about it if those <laughs> just sound like crazy words. Yeah. It wasn't tongues, but it, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, basically. Alexis, we've got a few minutes left. Um, mm-hmm. As you are thinking through a lot of the book lists that you made, what is a book or two that you have on your to-read list? You're not necessarily recommending. Mm-hmm. You're just saying, oh this, is, this is something coming up for me. And, and I have a few that I can share. Uh, for me, um, but I'm I'm more curious about yours. Oh well, that's stressful because I have several on my bookshelf that I want to read that I haven't okay. read yet. Okay, but um, I would have to say one that is on the bookshelf that I would like to read is actually Garden City by John Mark Homer. Okay, I would like to dive into that. Um, well, you know. That's what I've got at the moment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But what about you? What are some things that are piling up that you are excited to read once you're done with maybe the ones you're reading right now? Yes. Well, I am in the middle of a really great Amy Carmichael missionary biography um, mm. that I'm only about 30 pages into, which is great. Um, on my I'm hoping to read soon list. Hold on, let me just go look at the stack of books near my bed. I, know. I was really like behind my head. Same, and honest. let me look at the books next to my dresser. One second. No worries. I'll talk to the people. Wonderful. Um, I think another book that I am looking forward to read, I just can't decide if I'm gonna read it now or during Lent, is one by it's by Alicia Britt Sholey. Do you remember the name of it, Blaine? Anonymous? Lent no. No, I'm sorry, Lent devotional. Um, yeah, it's um, 40 Days of Decrease. Yes. I There's a couple people in our community that were reading it this time around, and I feel like that'd be a really great book to dive into. So yep. that's me. For me, on my going to read soon list is Rob Ketterling's Change Before You Have To. Oh, um, that's good. Discover a New Life of Abundance, Passion, and Satisfaction. I mean, who would turn that down? I do feel like I should have read this three years ago when I first got it before ministry experienced a lot of change and before 
the pandemic happened. So that's on me. Um, mm-hmm. I picked up this book. Maybe my wife picked it up for me at a, like a, one of those like free libraries in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, it's called The Master's Men by William Barclay. Okay. It's a study of um, the disciples of Jesus, uh, basically character sketches of each of them. And I think each icon mm-hmm. or logo that we're looking at, you're not looking at, um, represents kind of each disciple. Cool. Um, and then the third one on my list, it's thick. It is called Mormons and the Bible, the place Ooh, of Latter-day snap. Saints in American religion by Barlow. Um, a new friend of mine who works in campus ministry at Georgetown uh, recommended this book to me. And I uh, promised that I would order it and attempt to read it. So it is more <laughs> like um, historical, anthropological, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the author is the Arrington Chair of Mormon History and Culture, Culture at Utah State. I don't know a lot about um, the LDS church, um, but I, I want to know more. And I like that it's kind of in the context of American religion with the lens or understanding of biblical um, imagery or biblical um, literacy. Absolutely. Definitely. Wow, those are pretty cool. They're what can I say? Range. Yeah. What can I say? <laughs> I will be honest, my to-do or to-read list is always more aspirational, amazing, and great than I've actually read list or oh, I am currently reading list. A thousand percent. And I feel like at this point, like, I really have to go back and forth between straight fiction books um, and then to, like, emotional, healthy spirituality. Yeah. So it's, you know, sometimes it takes longer to get to the ones we want to read, but that's okay. You know, this may get edited out of the podcast and, you know, we do want to finish up shortly. What's a fiction book that you would just toss out there for people to consider? Uh, oh, snap. Okay. It's the one I'm reading right now. Yeah. You can go find it. I can oh, talk it's to you. No, it's literally under my computer. I'm using it to help prop it up. Sorry. Mm. But um, the one I'm reading right now, I highly recommend. Also, as a warning, it is extremely uh, graphic and portraying a lot of atrocities. So that is... A legitimate warning, but it's also really great. It's called Homegoing mm. by Yasi. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but that's my best go at it. Um, but it's pretty great. And it follows two half-sisters um, who were in Ghana um, on the Gold Coast when the slave trade started happening. And they were split up. One was sold as a wife to um, a colonizer and one was sold as a slave to the United States. And um, it follows the generations down until present day. And so it is definitely eye-opening and giving me a greater understanding of all of that. And I know I'm not even at the end of it, but I know it'll probably end up to today's um, times, mm. which is heavy, but relevant, I think. So anyways, Would yeah. you say that this would be in the genre of historical fiction? Or is yes. it, is it, okay, it's historical fiction. That's a, I didn't know, I forgot that term, but yes, I definitely think it's historical fiction because I can tell the woman who wrote it spent a lot of time on um, verifying facts, even though it's fiction. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. And I think mine would be, I mentioned it earlier, Old Man's War. It's oh. a sci-fi dystopian. Um, it's also John Mark Comer recommended and Kevin Goldfarb recommended. Um, mm. It's basically this idea that at the end of your life, if you're aging or elderly, in America or some other place, you could then sign up to serve in, I don't want to say the Space Force, that sounds political and silly, um, but you would get like a new body 
and then you would just become a soldier um, and you would, you'd be kind of part autonomous, part like not reborn, but new. And so that's kind of like what happened. You could sign up for that at the end of your life when you're kind of old, decrepit, ill health, you get a new body, but then you'd have to serve fully uh, fighting wars in outer space. In outer space? Yeah. What? Yeah. Did I, <laughs> that's yeah. wild. Yeah, I mentioned sci-fi and then I didn't get it until... No, like, you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm following. What? Nice. That's cool. You know when a book called Old Man's War is recommended by two or three people that believe in enemy love from the person of Jesus who might be considered pacifist, it's going to be an interesting read. <laughs> you know it. Well, on that note, in the words of Alexis Fobble, <laughs> amen. It's true. <laughs>